Hello, everybody. This is the Cincinnati Herald podcast. I'm your host, John Alexander Reese, digital editor of the Cincinnati Herald. And if you don't know, the Cincinnati Herald has been around since 1955, and it's the largest African-American newspaper in the greater Cincinnati area. And today I have my guest, co-host and media consultant for the Cincinnati Herald, Andrea Carter. How are you doing today, Andrea? Hi, John. How are you? I'm doing good. And I also have circulation director of the Herald, Wade Lacey Sr. How are you doing today, Wade? Good evening, John. I'm doing well. Good to hear. So let's head into some of the top news topics of the week. The Cincinnati Public Schools Board of Education Monday evening voted five to zero to require all staff and faculty working at a district facility to get vaccinated against COVID-19. Those who choose to remain unvaccinated will be required to show a negative COVID-19 test weekly. The mandate will not apply to volunteers. Employees must have their first shot done by October the 1st and a second shot within the appropriate time thereafter. Following that, employees will be required to provide proof of vaccination or improved reason for exception. Political beliefs are not sufficient enough reason to request an accommodation, the policy states, though exceptions will be offered for those with religious or medical constrictions. Andrea, what are your thoughts on this news topic? I think that this is the pending process of the world right now, that uh, I know there are several Republicans up in the air against what Biden mandated last week about um, the OSHA emergency regulation. And I think the public school system is going along with that. But I think there, I've heard several interviews from a number of board members who were talking about the protection of the kids. And, you know, they have so many students that are infected right now, that they have to protect everyone. They have to protect their employees. They have to protect, you know, everyone who's working with the public school system right now because certain kids won't, can't afford, cannot get the shot because they're not old enough. And then those who are old enough, their parents are deciding whether or not they get the shot. So I think it's a good thing in terms of protecting everybody right now. And it, it's a similar, it is an issue that is being grappled with all school boards across the country. Um, they're damned if they do, they're damned if they don't. And everyone is reacting to it differently. But at the end of the day, it's about how do you protect the kids and then protect the parents when the kids go home from a day at school. Moving on to our next story. California Governor Gavin Newsom survived a recall election. The Associated Press called the race about 45 minutes after the polls closed. Voters were asked two questions at the polls Tuesday, whether Newsom should lose his job and who should replace him if he's recalled. An overwhelming number of Californians said Newsom should not lose his job, making the second question irrelevant. The special election was the result of 1.5 million people signing a recall petition. CNN reports the election cost the state more than $270 million. Andrea, your thoughts on this topic? One, I I think it's telling about um, how the public supported Gavin Newsom. He did what he, he did what was what he thought was best for California especially regarding the pandemic. He was, he was one of the governors who had the, the, the strictest mandate to help prevent people from um, getting COVID as much as possible. Um, he put in a lot of measures in place that saved a lot of lives. And in fact, right now, California has, is one of the better states to be in right now regarding the pandemic. I think the Republicans who went after, who wanted this recall because 
he goes against everything right now that they're, quote, are following and believing, I, I think it's unjust. I, I think it's telling at the end of the day what the reaction is going to be possibly in midterm going in. You know, those governors who made the decision to help to do the harshest, make the harshest decisions to save lives, I think at the end of the day will win at the ballot box because people recognize leadership. They recognize a boss. And that's what he did. He made the hard choices, fought against the political system, and won the day. And I think at the end of the day, people are going across the country will do the exact same thing. And I'm glad he won. Wade, your thoughts on this new story? Well, my thoughts is, is, is concerning the whole process of this um, recount or this, uh, this process of trying to, to uh, get this recall. Disturbing to me that, that just because you can get a million people to sign a petition, that you can have a revolt. Think of that if that happened with the presidency. They, they decided, well, we're going to get a sign, get everybody to sign a petition because we don't like some of the policies that the president has made over the last three months or so, and we're going to uh, try to get a recall. So that's my issue is with the recall itself, the easiness of, of them going through this process and everything. If you remember back in 2005, that was how Arnold Schwarzenegger got in. Uh, they uh, did that, and he ousted the uh, Democratic a governor that was in at the time. So I just, my, my major concern is with the process itself. I think it's, it's callous, it's too easy for them to to, to get, go in and get someone removed that has gone through the whole process to get voted in by the public and uh, it's wrong. You know, Wade, it, it, it's something that is kind of sad to think that people don't like the outcome or don't like what you did. And the only thing they can think of is just to go ahead and recall you now when he has another year of his term before there's another, they're going to have to go through this again next year because he's up for re-election next year. So I, I think it's telling of the mindset of what's going on with a particular voter. And when I say a particular voter, I'm talking about those people who don't like the truth and they, they're kind of like spoiled kids and they're like, no, this can't happen. And they figure out a way legally to get their way. And in the, but they, you know, and they expect the outcome to be this way. When in fact, they never take into account, voters are not dumb. I think the, the one thing, the outcome from Trump is that they made the, the, the voter in, in the United States smarter, more aware of the political process. Some to the extreme, some not to the extreme, but you're looking at a smarter voter who's very much aware of what is going on. And I, I don't think politicians who've been around for a while thinking this way are not taking that into account when they do something like this. And also it's, it's a horrible way of using our democracy against the truth. My thing is that I can't believe it costs that much money to do this recall election. I mean, that money could have been spent in way better ways. And it's just a shame that this had to happen. And like you said, Andrea, it's like, you only had like one more year. They really couldn't wait that long to put a new candidate up. It's just, it's really, it's really sad. It, it's sad, but also it's sad to see a political party that has be, that is um, becoming, has is so distorted and cannot accept the status quo. I mean, for decades, 
this is how we did things. And now all of a sudden, because of a certain mindset, mindset has been inserted into our democratic process. If you don't get your way, you're gonna do things differently. You want your way. You're not respecting the authority of how things have been done before. And I think it's sad. It's sad to see a political party implode and try all these kinds of ways to hang on to power, hang on to their way of thinking, their quote, their way of life, when in fact they need to take into account more than what they're doing. Moving on to our next story. City county leaders on Tuesday announced a plan to cover the costs of replacing the Western Hills Viaduct, a crumbling span that supports the traffic of 55,000 drivers each day. They'll vote to make it official next week. Cincinnati and Hamilton County spent over a decade attempting to fund a fix for the bridge, which has in recent years begun to crack and shed chunks of concrete from its upper deck. The plan announced Tuesday will draw the largest share of its budget, $205 million of it, from tax revenue created by Issue 7, a voter-passed tax levy in Hamilton County. The replacement bridge will have four lanes of traffic in each direction, plus a multi-use path on the south side and a sidewalk. Construction could start as early as 2022 and finish around 2026. Andrea, your thoughts on this new story? I'm, I'm glad they came up with something. I think it's kind of sad that they're using the you know, the money raised with issue seven, but, you know, sometimes you have to go to the extreme to resolve, resolve an issue. You know, I get uneasy driving the Western Hill, um, the Western Hills Viaduct every once in a while. I mean, it's just, if you think about what has happened around the country, older buildings falling down um, because of various issues, we have to take a better view and be smarter about our aging infrastructure and go do what we need to do to fix it. So I'm glad that they found a way to fix this because it is a key part of our transportation system in the city. And well, I should say in the county. So I'm happy about it. Wade, your thoughts on this story? It's about time. Uh, that bridge has had problems, many problems over the years. If you drive by there, you will always see them making some type of small repairs. Uh, some concrete is it's falling down and they have to go and patch up the work and then they're patching up again and all that. So it's about time that, that uh, this has happened. Uh, hopefully they can recoup some of that money through some of the federal funds that should be coming through uh, in the coming years. Uh, infrastructure uh, bill that was, that was passed uh, before. Uh, but yeah, it, 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 this is definitely a situation where lives were being put in danger every single day. Uh, the rush hour traffic in the morning, and then it, when everyone's going home. Uh, I don't know how people uh, drive that way every day and not, not have a little fear of something that's going to happen. Because you even though you don't think of the, the total bridge collapsing or anything like that, but there are so many other things with chunks of uh, concrete falling and, and being misplaced and things like that, displaced, that uh, there could be so many other accidents and, and ways for people to, to uh, be filled with that uh, bridge the way it was and is as, as it stands today. So I'm extremely happy that, that they are going to be able to take care of this and that'll be a problem that'll be solved for uh, many years to come. Moving on to our next story. 
The Federal Bureau of Investigation has fired an agent accused of failing to investigate sex abuse allegations against U.S. Gymnastics Director Larry Nassar. According to NBC News, the firing of agent Michael Langman comes after the release in July of a Justice Department Inspector General report that criticized him and his boss, Jay Abbott, of their handling of the case. Nassar was sentenced in February 2018 to over 100 years in prison after pleading guilty to three counts of criminal sexual conduct. Earlier Wednesday, Olympic gold medalist Simone Biles and Michaela Maroney testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee about the sexual abuse they endured at the hands of Nazar. Andrea, your thoughts on this story? I think it's a shame. It's a failing of, of us. Um, the system failed the gymnasts. I mean, I listened to part of the testimony today that they gave before Congress and what they endured um, at the hands of this man is shocking. I mean, our Olympo, our most decorated Olympic a gymnast has suffered at the hands of this. She, you know, she has emotional issues regarding this. The other women who also testified with her all suffered by the, at the hands of this guy. And the fact that an FBI agent did not think enough to do the investigation, or at least look into it fast enough when, when informed is kind of sad. I don't know, maybe, you know, maybe he thought, there wasn't enough evidence, or maybe it was just speculation, or how dare you accuse a doc? I don't know what was going on on his mind. But I, I think it also is indicative of when a woman reports sexual harassment of various degrees, sometimes the act is so subtle, you can't just prove it outright. You have to peel back the layers to get to the truth. And it's kind of hard in this situation. There are enough people to come forward that this guy got caught. But uh, again, the FBI agent was not willing enough to peel back the layers to investigate it fast enough. It's kind of sad. Mm -hmm. um, I could say some stereotypical things, but I'm not going to go there. So, Wade, your thoughts on this story? Well, I always try to look at the bigger picture uh, as things happen and everything. One, they fired the FBI agent, but they criticized his boss also. Why wasn't he fired? It's, it's more like a whitewash to me because it's, it's not just the this situation or this, this particular case or incidents with the gymnast and this, this coach and all that. Uh, it's, it's more of a case of, of uh, the sexual abuse all over. Uh, we forget that uh, similar situations happen not just with the, with the women, but with the men also. And I'll just give you an example. Just a few years ago, 20 so years ago, uh, Jerry Sandusky was the uh, assistant football coach with Penn State serving on the Joe Paterno. And uh, if you guys remember, it might start coming back to you now, but uh, he had formed a nonprofit charity organization called Second Mile, which served the underprivileged at-risk youth. And uh, he started that in 1977. And then uh, we found out later that uh, he was abusing all those boys that was in that program. And uh, that went on for like 15 years. Okay. Not only did that go on for like 15 years, but a lot of people knew that it was happening. A lot of people in positions uh, of authority knew that that was happening. 
but uh, in most cases, this is always, especially when when with his boys involved, this is always hidden. Nobody wants to talk about it. That's Penn State. Just Ohio State. Just two years ago, they did a big investigation for uh, their former uh, athletic and athletic and student health doctor. He he committed suicide in 2005. But uh, the investigation was for the allegations. He had over 400 people come forth uh, uh, and students that, that was there who said that he either groped them or he uh, uh, messed with them while they was having the medical examinations and stuff, uh, seeking treatment and all. And these were uh, uh, guys that, that, that came forth. And over the years, again, when it's guys, it seemed to be hush-hush all the way, throw it in the background, we don't want to talk about it. But these situations happen all, all the time. And I think that we make a mistake when we just look at it when it happens to, to the women, because I think it's, if you put it in that broad uh, scope, then uh, it's, it's something's being said or something's being done, they have to act right away. They've got to uh, find out what's going on and make sure these people, men, women, girls or boys, whatever, that they are, are, are not being violated and that they, if they have issues, that they are being addressed. Uh, Sugar Ray Leonard, our former Olympic champion, boxing champion, and then world champion, I think of five different weight divisions. He spoke about his situation being sexually abused by an Olympic coach uh, uh, back when he was about 15 years old. So uh, this has been widespread. You can talk, you can go all the way back and talk about what the Catholic Church goes through with the priest and everything. But again, most of the time, these situations are thrown in the back door, thrown to the side. Nobody wants to talk about it and everything. So we have to look at it in, a, in the, that wide scope and everything and say, this is what we're going to do. This is what should be done when anything, any of these allegations come up, that we take care of this right away and, and, and we don't let it go and we figure out what's going on and if somebody should be prosecuted or whatever the case may be. So uh, for my thing with this, with the women, the gymnasts, uh, if you look just a few years ago, it was another coach, similar situation. But again, people just tend to look look, look away and they don't want to address it. And a lot of times the people don't want to address it because the people that are in the positions to do something about it are have their hand in the cookie also. So uh, hopefully they'll look at the broad picture and they'll make put things in, in place where when things like this happen, they will immediately have some type of investigation or make sure things are not uh, going like they need them to be. Well, I'm, I mean, basically we need to change the thinking, well, I should say change the culture of the country because it's not acceptable when it happens to a woman, it's not acceptable when it happens to a guy. And I agree with you, Roy. I mean, it's, it, this has gone on for decades and it's, it's not a comfortable topic to talk about. It's very uncomfortable, it's messy. If you let it fester and fester, it will blow up in your face. And that is what's happened each time. You know, look at Harvey Weinstein. Um, look at Epps, um, the guy who was human trafficking with the women um, and he committed suicide. I cannot think of his name right now. But, you know, we have extraordinary cases and even small settle cases. We even have the Catholic church where this has occurred and it's occurred around the, around the world somewhere we have to take a stand and change the thinking, this is not acceptable behavior. 
It should not be hush-hush. It should not be covered up. It just needs to be addressed and then go from there. Um, I agree with you, Wade. Something has to be done to change our thinking. And moving on. 18 months after the global pandemic shut down live theater, Broadway is officially back. Chicago, Hamilton, Wicked, and The Lion King were some of the shows that opened back up on Tuesday, September the 14th. Theaters were open to 100% capacity. However, ticket holders to all of these mega hits must prove they are fully vaccinated with an FDA or WHO authorized vaccine, and masks must be worn at all times except when eating or drinking in designated areas. Andrea, your thoughts on Broadway being back? I am so happy. Um, <laughs> it, it, I mean, I love Broadway. I love Broadway shows. They are artistic eye to the world. And for it, it to be shuttered, you know, it, it truly does something to the soul um, when you can't think that, you know, this favorite entity is not there. The fact that Broadway shows came back, I mean, I've been watching on YouTube all the rehearsals that got started and had the emotions that everybody had. Just being in rehearsal to say, hey, we're back has been unbelievable. And, you know, watching everyone wear the masks and sing and dance and prepare and practice and all that type of stuff. I think it's wonderful. I think it shows that New York has gone through something so horrific, but is able to come back. And I know there's still some fear with the Delta variant still out there that they may get shut down again. But I think that they're putting on a brave face and it's a nice signal that the country's moving forward in this fight, in this pandemic. And that I think that if we all do what we must to survive this pandemic and live with it, we all can enjoy Broadway once again. Wade, your thoughts on Broadway finally being back open? It's, it's, it's good. It's good for the public. It's good for the, uh, the uh, actors. Uh, it's good for everybody involved. Um, I, I don't know how long this is going to last. Hopefully they will be able to continue to be open. Uh, same thing with the movie theaters that they're starting to come back and, and people are, are waiting. Uh, they've been waiting for this to, to, to be able to go out and enjoy themselves. Uh, I don't know about being required to have a vaccination. Uh, they were saying required to have a mask, required to have an N95 mask or whatever the case may be, that may be good enough. But uh, regardless, uh, if this is good. Uh, everybody needs to have some type of life, some type of entertainment, some type of way to to live, show that they are they are, are getting along in life and, and things can, can be better. So uh, I'm excited about this. Hopefully it will be able to continue through, through the fall and through the winter. I, I think it's, um, I know we're, we're going into um, flu season and flu, I should say flu, cold and flu season and everything else, but I think it just, Everyone, I know I've been cautious about venturing into places. Um, I've been bold enough to go into um, the grocery stores all while during the shutdown. And then I've been very gingerly going back to restaurants and making sure there's you know air and masks and everything. And I have not gone into a retail store yet, um, but I will. And um, well, no, I, no, I haven't been in here. I haven't been in it yet, but you know, I've been taking my time getting used to this new situation and I've been bold and told people, you know, have masks, we'll, we'll care, you know, you know, have masks, we'll go on. And I think the fact that Broadway's back is the best signal 
that our economy and what we do, what we have deemed normal is getting back to some sense of normal, even though now you have to have a scrap of cloth over your mouth, your nose and your mouth, but you can still enjoy the things that you've enjoyed. It's just a matter of another accessory. That's all. And I think that's what's important. Well, that's it for today's show. I want to thank Andrea and Wade for coming on here and talking about some of the top news topics of the week. So thanks, guys. Thanks, John. Thank you, John. And uh, remember to uh, check out all the stories we talked about today. Check out our website at www.thecincinnatiherald.com. You can also check out our print edition, which is sold at your local Kroger, UDF, Walgreens, Joseph F. Booksellers, and select service stations. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. We're on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Audible, and TuneIn Radio. Just search for the Cincinnati Herald podcast. Follow us at the Cincinnati Herald on Facebook. Follow us at Cincy Herald on Twitter and Instagram. And follow us on YouTube. Just search for the Herald TV. I'm John Alexander Reese, digital editor of the Cincinnati Herald. And have a good day.